Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. As always, I am so excited to be here. What a great job I have interviewing everyday innovators from across the globe. I have one request. You probably heard if you listened to yesterday's podcast too. Go leave us an iTunes review. Here's the thing. More reviews equal more listens, more downloads, which equals more impact. Think of it as as giving a little like gold star to the guests on the podcast. We have incredible everyday innovators, people who are CEOs of companies, VPs of companies, super junior, just started their career in college, stay-at-home moms and dads, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, all these amazing people. Give them the five-star review on iTunes. That is proof that you got some value out of their conversations, which I know you did. So speaking of value in today's conversation, let's dig in. So let me tell you a little bit about David first and his everyday innovator style. So David's style is inquisitive futuristic. So here's what that means. The inquisitive side is all about digging deep, challenging assumption, pulling back the layers of the onion. It's like, why, how, what if? So what I find with inquisitives is, you know, while a lot of us maybe get stuck on the surface, kind of like assuming things are the way they are, inquisitives are the ones that are challenging that all the time. And then the futuristic side is all about forest through the trees. So it's all about Tomorrowland. Today's opportunities are tomorrow's opportunities. I find with futuristics, they always tend to be 10 steps ahead. They're great to talk to when you want to understand the impact of something because they see how it kind of ripples out or ripples forward. So that combination, the magic in the inquisitive futuristic is they bring deep and forward innovation to the table. So let's hear a little bit from David, who are in our inquisitive futuristic today. David, welcome to the show. Tell the world who you are and the world that you're in. Great. Well, thanks for having me. Um, excited to be here and uh, you know, to give a little background. So I've been managing teams in technology and data for about 20 years now. And you know, that's in things related to mostly finance and, and financial services, but a bit in hospitality and consulting as well. And uh, most recently, uh, I've become the CEO of a startup called Ripsaw Wealth Tools. And, you know, we kind of think of our company as innovative by nature, that we are challenging the, you know, as a pretty small bootstrap startup, we are challenging the status quo in uh, financial advisory services, essentially. Our goal is to allow users to do it themselves and manage their wealth on their own. And, you know, for a fixed subscription rather than a percent of fees. And so there, there's a lot of change there and it's a changing industry. And a lot of that change has to do with, you know, economic climate and low interest rates and all that. Uh, but we are, you know, striving to change that. And myself, uh, you know, like I said, I've become the CEO in the last month, but I w- am a co-founder of the company. Uh, I had some other uh, work I still had to finish up in other places, but I'm full-time now. And I started the company with my father, who is a PhD in economics, and my brother, who is a computer scientist. So we've got a complete family team. Yeah. So great family team. (laughs) You said complete in that it's the right set of leadership, you know, in all the right areas to build a financial software company. So we've been having a lot of fun doing it. 
And, um, you know, I think we're trying to be innovative in the way we look at the economics and the finance every day. So let me ask you a question real quick, because I love family businesses. Um, what when you going back, back, what were those conversations around the dining room table and maybe the metaphorical dining room table, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, how do you, what problems were you looking at? Were you going, Hey guys, I think together we can solve this. Like, I'm, I'm curious because I think a lot of great ideas, whether that's a company idea or a new product or a, a way to do business better, come from those late night conversations where you're like, why is it this way when it could be this way? Yeah. Well, essentially, that's how Ripsaw was founded and the idea sparked. So, you know, you have to understand growing up as a finance professor's child, every day is an econ lesson and every day is <laughs> a finance lesson. But it was, you know, in a very intuitive way in less academic, but, you know, academic as well. And, you know, I never hadn't as a child, you know, I was, I would, I wanted to be, you know, purely a technologist or an astronaut or, you know, kind of those type of really futuristic, you know, forward-looking technologies. But what I found in career is I happened to be really good at technology and data related to finance. <laughs> Surprise, you know, <laughs> having that sort of ingrained and, um, you know, had the opportunity to work in institutional asset management for a long time. And so, you know, that, that dinner table kind of conversation came from, so when myself and my sister and my brother, you know, had all had a kid or two or three, um, you know, hit the point where, and, you know, we're all, um, you know, married with uh, dual income uh, earners and our life was getting really complicated. And this, you know, this is about, you know, Five, five to 10 years ago in, in total. And, you know, we were starting to figure out, well, how do we, you know, invest wisely? How do we, you know, be tax efficient? And how do we deal with all these accounts that are starting to crop up? And, you know, basically our, you know, kind of view on this amongst us is that the average dual income earners with kids have at least 11 accounts across banks and brokerages, retirement, you know, most married couples, you know, the, the lowest you can get to is four, if you're lucky, of, um, you know, retirement accounts. And so trying to manage those accounts uh, in, with a proper, you know, sort of academic um, investment style is challenging because they're all at different institutions and they all have different options. So we started with a set of spreadsheets as our prototype. Of course you did. Given who your family is, of course you did. <laughs> and we actually used those for a number of years, you know, before we kind of, you know, really were serious about uh, launching a product and those spreadsheets, you know, had basically, you know, what are all the exposures in the market and what is, and basically produced a benchmark that we should manage against. And so that quickly got complicated. And then, uh, you know, we kind of said, you know, hey, I, I think we could do this and we could do this, you know, a, as a fintech software product and we can do it well, actually, with, with a new innovation out there. And this is when we're really seeing a lot of financial data APIs cropping up and the access to, you know, the type of, you know, detailed mutual fund ETF kind of stock data that we needed was readily available to buy and the ability to connect to accounts was readily available in the marketplace. So we look, we set out to basically take all that together 
and build a product that pulls it all together. So we, you know, we kind of think of it as the ultimate wealth aggregator at this point. And, you know, look, working with family on this, you know, you, everyone open about finances, we're talking through everything. And, um, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun, you know, obviously challenging here and there on arguments, but it's, it's, it's very, you know, the environment that we have as a family working through a lot of this is what I always try to do with teams that I manage in the past, which is to take out the concept of leadership means do what I say, right? Have teams that you remove barriers and you give them the opportunity to shine and challenge you as their leader and their, you know, managers below and everything else. And to, to really look at solving problems all, you know, in every moment, you know, in efficiency in every moment. And so I think we have that going now. And as we're building out the company, you know, that's the culture I want, which is very much a modern company and that, that we have no offices and we have, you know, fairly flat org structure and that our goal is to help people with their wealth management. I love, David, what you said about um, leading teams is like not about top-down leadership, but about solving problems like all the time or being more efficient all the time. Because I think oftentimes what we do is we stack up our problems. Like we put it, they're like Legos, right? That we just stack and stack and stack until the whole thing tumbles. And that's when we go deal with it. And at that point, I don't know that it's too late, but it makes it a lot harder than had we just dealt with the stuff right in the moment. Um, I'm curious, what's a big win or something you're most proud of? Yeah. So I'll tell you, um, you know, kind of in my you know, previous professional life is I had the opportunity in the financial world for two financial crises to, you know, to, to exist. And the work that my team was doing kind of helped save the panic and in a lot of ways retain clients. So, you know, I, I, I've always been in, in that world in a data, you know, perspective and I served as chief data officer for a firm for almost 10 years recently. And our goal was always to make sure that we're automating people out of a job in a positive way so they can do more interesting things and to make sure that we have the data in a readily consumable format so that we have good surveillance and monitoring and awareness of a situation. And in 2008, which I still think is the toughest <laughs> world I've had, um, some of the work we had just done that helped us understand, you know, really where we were in mortgage-backed securities and, you know, all, all of those kind of crazy things that just the world was falling apart. And we could tell where everything was at any given point. And that, that really helped a lot with client retention and ability to manage portfolios. And so, you know, all this is enablement work to help others in organizations I've worked with do their job better and more efficiently. And that's why now I'm looking on a bigger scale to help people manage their wealth more efficiently. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff Zoe is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. 
Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition. And I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy's CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy. But before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. You know what I love about that story, David, I have to say is um, for those of us who are definitely old enough to have really lived through 2008 in a time of like extreme panic. Um, and I'll never forget, I'll just tell you, I, I just brought my second child home from the hospital as Lehman Brothers collapsed. Like it was at the same, it was, he was born September 19th. So it was like a day later, I'm sitting on the couch and like the world, the financial world is falling apart. And the amount of stress and the panic that that caused for a lot of people. And a lot of that is just not knowing, well, I think there's two things. One is not knowing the data, but the second part is not knowing what to do with the data. And I think that's where kind of creative problem solving and being an innovator really comes into play is, is and that's what, what I heard you say you provided people back then was not just here's the data, but what to do with the data. Because I, you know, we could look at numbers all day long, but I'm not you, right? I'm not, I'm not the financial person. So like if, if someone could come to me and tell me the insight behind the information, to me, that's where the value is. It's not just the information. Like that's one part, but I think there's, I think we miss in a lot of the work that we do elevating that information into insights, but that I think is where the value is for sure. Yeah. And that was o- always the goal in anything that I did in data land, as I call it, was always about what is the story, what are we trying to convey, and what are the insights that we want to gain? And again, that's kind of the driving force, you know, still now is, you know, we're trying to build a product where basically anyone can use it is my goal. That means a lot, you know, any anyone who has some money, some wealth to manage, and, you know, there's such a lack of understanding amongst a lot of the population. So we're trying to get to it where you are seeing insights into your portfolio, the market and your benchmark to the point where you could pick it up and, you know, with a little bit of financial education, start um, as a novice. And that's a big, that's a big empowerment that does not exist <laughs> really in the world of, uh, of, you know, kind of wealth advisory today. That's yeah, that's hugely powerful. And I think a lot of us have, um, it's funny, I was just trying to count to count how many accounts I have and I'm a single earner household. And I was like, I think I'm at 15 and that's just one of me. <laughs> like, this isn't good. 
<laughs> so it's funny that you said that, but um, I, I think empowering people to make decisions on their own is one of the best things you can do for people, hands down. What, whatever type of company you lead, if you can get your team to be empowered to make their own decisions in a smart way, you are ahead of a lot of people. What's a challenge that you faced and how have you overcome it? Sure. So, you know, uh, various challenges. And I would say, you know, the, the big challenge that we're facing right now and in the last couple of years is trying to build a startup bootstrapped, meaning no outside funding. So every dollar spent is myself and my partners. And I explained who my partners were. So it's yeah. effects on that. It's family money. Yep. And to do that, you know, in a time when you have lots of other responsibilities and lots of other, you know, again, trying to get to college and all, and all of those things. And, you know, the way we, we've been able to do that is to be lean and careful and to be efficient as possible in any, any of our spend. But, you know, it's, it's very challenging when your money's at stake, right? And you're, you know, I, for many years, you know, the luxury of working in big organizations, you know, budget was large and you could do a lot. And, you know, my goal in those worlds was always to try to spend the least and to be the most efficient anyway, because that helps the company and helps all the employees who work there. But, you know, it's been very challenging, uh, you know, to, to this date to, to, you know, really st stick to that. And, you know, we're open to funding future and all that, but we wanted to go as far as possible. And so going back to what I'm proud of, right, is uh, the fact that, uh, you know, with, with um, myself and my partners, we have built a company completely self-funded that has customers that's out in the world. And, uh, you know, I'm starting to speak at conferences and talk about these things in a way where we're, we're starting to get our message out. And, you know, that's a big deal. We have a long way to go. I'll be clear on, you know, on our growth plans, but to get to that point as an entrepreneur is exciting. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Um, you know, you talked about like when you're, when you have skin in the game, right. And you need and want to be lean and efficient with your money and also your time. Like you said, you have kids, right? Like there's a lot going on in your world. It's not just we don't get, I have two teenage boys. So like I don't get to work 24 hours a day. Believe me, if I could, I would, although they are a great break and I love them, but like I'm a workaholic. So you right. Like you have to balance all this stuff, particularly when it comes to ownership of stuff. How do you, and maybe this is a question of like you and your family, the team, leadership team, how do you figure out what is good for lean? And I, I guess when I, I'm talking in circles, but what I'm trying to get out there is, you know, I think as a business owner or a team leader, we all want our team to have skin in the game. And we have to make these decisions about like, what's the best use of our time, our money, like what's the leanest, most efficient, most impactful, but that has to go through a set of a criteria for us to even figure that out. So I'm just curious from your perspective, because you've got money and time and future in the game. How do you think about what is the best use of things? Yeah, you know, so, you know, resources, you know, whether scarce or not, you know, again, I've always looked at that as, you know, what is the most efficient way to do it, meaning, let's look at it, let's kind of draw it out into the future, let's do projections, discipline we've kept on ourselves is, you know, keeping operating budgets and having projections, but, you know, we control all of that in this world, right? So, you know, it, it's a situation where it is a little bit of, okay, do we want to go on a marketing um, blitz in the next couple months, which is X dollars for us, but 
that could get us over the hump we need to to you know increase revenue. So it's a lot of just trying to tie together the outcomes and the you know good or bad in some cases plus plus you know what are those inputs into that. And it, you know the decision making process that you know I end up doing a lot in that case is my gut honestly, you know, but, you know, it with numbers to support it, you know, so, you know, the way kind of, you know, being, you know, again, a practitioner and an education in a lot of data science is basically, I'm using all the data, right, to, to show information and get insights, but you have to be able to make decisions on your own. And that I have actually found, you know, one of my strengths in my career has been, being in, whether it's a boardroom or a team meeting or whatever else, being the person who can make a decision and own it and live with it. And, you know, a lot of you, you would be surprised how many people you probably would in your career, you're probably seeing this a ton of uh, people won't take, won't, won't make a decision, you know, in a crisis or in, in the, you know, a planning stage. And tell me what you think about this, but I have found it very rare that you are better off not making a decision, decision than you are making a decision that maybe didn't work out. Um, I, I think you're better off making a decision, period, and then learning and changing and adapting if you need to. But um, it's a little, yeah. So I just, I, I think we fear decision making because we fear what could go wrong, but it's worse not to. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And again, you know, I look at every dollar that's been spent as a sunk cost, but, you know, I, and I will attribute the value of that money spent to what we learned from it rather than treating it like, you know, a waste of money. And, you know, again, in, in both, you know, uh, my long career, plus uh, as we're trying to build this company, we've been doing those things. You know, I call them experiments sometimes, but they're smart experiments where we are testing whether parts of our product are ready, whether or not certain features are ready and getting insight and feedback from others and then innovating and changing things and, and then trying again. And, you know, a lot of, you know, the marketing is basically like that. And it's, you know, again, that's money well spent, you know, and it will, it will inform what money we should spend in the future. I think if I looked at all the interviews I've done over the past, just three, even three months alone, which is, you know, dozens and dozens of them, this, the people who are open to the idea of experimentation are the ones who win. And it's because they're willing to try stuff and learn and adapt. And the mindset of going into a decision as an experiment uh, alleviates some of the pressure, but also gives you the opportunity to learn. I just really quickly, before I go on, do you think decision-making is something you can teach or do you think it's, so, and if so, how say that? So, you know, my observations on the subject for many years is I think there are some people who have a large, you know, deficit in their ability to make decisions and want to be the person who makes decisions. So I think it, I don't know that I would say it can't be learned, but there is definitely, whether it's environmental upbringing or, you know, genetic or whatever else that gets there, there are people who are just able to be decisive and to be the one to take that on. And it, it probably goes with leaders most of the time, but, you know, as I've mentored folks and I've helped develop folks, I've gotten them there to make decisions, you know, without me, you know, but with me being there as basically a point, you know, kind of above to escalate to if necessary. So I, I prefer, you know, folks being able to make decisions, but I also, um, you know, I do think there's a bit of, 
you know, whether you kind of innately are able to do that. And again, I said, it's scarce, the people who are, so <laughs> it's an asset when, when you find those folks. Yeah, I think it's a muscle and most of us have either the muscle hasn't been used enough or for some reason we were, you know, our hand was slapped and it got trained out of us. Um, and some people just either push through it and keep doing it or just innately good at it, or maybe they were rewarded for doing it. Like I, I, it's fascinating to me that, and it's fascinating how many people, even in senior leadership and companies are not decision makers. So, and I always wonder like, how did you get there? I don't understand that, but that's a different conversation. Um, what does it mean to you to be an everyday innovator? So to me, it is, you know, I, I think it does go down to problem solving, you know, in, in many cases. And, you know, I, I, in, you know, everyday life and the way I teach my kids and everything is, okay, let's look at the problem. Let's kind of take it apart and analyze it. And then that's the inquisitive side. Yeah. I've spent a lot of time in recent months. My kids are only three and five, but we're starting early and I've spent a lot of time actually, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty proficient Lego builders now. And we're talking about how they're built and how they're designed and problem solving with that. And, you know, that mindset and my, my older son, you know, he's, he wants to be an inventor, you know, he, he gets this idea of experimentation and, and to work on that. But, you know, mostly, you know, I, I think of it as an everyday innovator. It, it doesn't have to be someone like Elon Musk, who's changing the world, although it's impressive. I think innovation on your own daily routine and life and how you work um, is important. I rearrange my office a lot to be more efficient, <laughs> you know, in the, the position of monitors and, you know, all of that, that's sort of a command center that you can't see here. But, um, you know, I, and I think in, in the business part of an everyday innovator is, again, people who are, are willing to challenge things and, you know, are basically looking at always automating themselves out of a job, always looking for a better solution. And again, these can be operational things. These can be, you know, you know, fairly high impact in a company or a group of people, but not world impacting, you know, and I think, um, you know, watching a lot of your, your stuff, and this, you know, your speaking is this idea of innovation is everywhere is I agree with wholeheartedly. And I, you know, there's a lot of cases where people think of innovation as only technology innovation. And although I, again, I love watching that. I love seeing that. And I admire the folks who are doing that, you know, the work you do in software is innovative too. The work you do in working in a factory, when you figured out how to suggest to your boss, a more efficient way to do a certain process, that's all innovation. I mean, I'll just give you a here, here on that. Cause I agree with all that. And I, I think we often, to your point, mistake, you know, we look at Elon Musk and Steve jobs and JK Rowling and like, you know, all these people, and we're like, and, and you know, um, Jeff Bezos, and we're like, those are the innovators. I think they're super innovative. I also think there's a genius level to them that's very different. And I, I interviewed a neuroscientist once who said, genius is rare, but creativity is common. And so I think to what you're saying, being an everyday innovator is actually common. And the impact you make in your day-to-day world is as important in your world as what Elon Musk is out there doing and what he's doing is awesome. I love the guy, but that's different. Right. And I also rearrange my desk like every three weeks. So maybe there's something in that we'll see, but it's funny to hear you talk about problem solving because people who have inquisitive as part of their style are really motivated by solving problems. So um, I'm motivated by leaping and figuring like I want to build and I want to leap. Like if you tell me tomorrow, it's never been done before. I'm like, yes. Right. Like it's, it's so it's interesting to hear you talk about it. What do you do on a daily basis, like a habit, behavior, routine, action, whatever it is, 
to just make sure you're staying innovative and ahead and not kind of resting on your laurels? Sure. So, you know, I, I actually think a lot of it has to do with being efficient in the rest of the work first. So I'm big on you know finding tasks, finishing them, clearing it. You know, I, I say that I can actually work much faster than average in a lot of ways that then allows me to sit back and spend more of my day analyzing things, looking for trends and figuring out how to make more efficient. And, you know, again, I, I look at, you know, in the work we're doing now in software, I re-review every page, every piece of the software often, right? And think, well, could that font be bigger or hold on? I don't think we explained at all what's happening there, you know? So I, I, I think of it as, you know, again, always looking, again, any of these everyday life things, you know, whether it's rearranging the office or the kitchen or the garage, or, you know, thinking about, well, we can save space and we can find things better. You know, all, all of those are kind of making sure that your, your whole life is improving, you know, and I, I think that's really important. I feel you would laugh with last weekend. We totally redid the garage and exactly that. Me and my kids. And I was like, we're doing this because we can't find anything. And there's a better way. I know there's a better way to organize this. I don't know what it is yet, but I know it's out there, but I, but I think that's, what I'm hearing from you that's so cool that I want us all to really pay attention to is you're constantly asking, like, is this good enough? Is this better? Should we be doing this differently? Is there a smarter way? And I think when we just have that percolating in the back of our mind, we stay innovative because we're always looking for an opportunity to improve, disrupt, create kind of whatever it is. And I think that's really important. As an inclusive futuristic, what's your advice to everyday innovators out there of all types who are looking to do what you're doing, which is maybe, you know, challenge some things out there, innovate, influence, and make an impact. Yeah. My biggest advice would be to always look at anything you're doing and think about how you can make it better. You know, and and I mean anything, right. You know, and and especially in your work, you know, the, the folks who are able to automate things, improve things for others and, you know, solve problems in a company, those are the A players. Those are the all stars who go along and, you know, this idea of being timid or, you know, kind of saying that's not my lane, you know, that's nice for some people, but, you know, I think really the people who, who make impact are the people who, you know, appropriately challenge. Why appropriately? Where did that come from? Just meaning, you know, don't make waves to make waves, but, you know, always look at, you know, how, how you can make something, um, more efficient and, and better, you know, in, in whichever metric makes sense. I, I just, I'm intrigued by what you said that because I think there are some people out there who I think just always have to make things harder, right? And then there are other people that I'm like, yeah, you poke the bear. And I, I wonder if the appropriate is the difference between the two. Yes, you know, it kind of learn learn how to how to play your cards right and, and do that. And no one's gonna be, you know, if you're working at a company and you're scolded for a good idea, it's not, you know, then you need to find a new job. That's how I look at that. <laughs> You're not, they're not. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. And I also think there's a question of, are you communicating in a way that's getting you buy-in? Because I think oftentimes we don't, we don't, the best ideas don't always win. And if we don't communicate in a way that gets people on board with the conversation, with the journey, we tend to not get buy-in. Um, and sometimes we have to own that responsibility. And sometimes it's somewhere else. You know, I interviewed someone the other day and they said, First, you try to move the boulder. And if you can't move the boulder, you move yourself. And I was like, that is exactly like, I love that. So let me, um, this has been fantastic. Let me close out with a personal question, which is what's one thing we'd be surprised to learn about you? Oh, surprised to learn about me. Um, you know, I, I 
think, um, you know, many people would think of someone who spent their time in finance and, you know, technology and all that, isn't also interested in the environment and the outdoors. And I'll tell you, living in Colorado and, um, you know, skiing, hiking, biking, all, all of them are amazing. And, you know, I, my biggest other thing in my life is trying to figure out how we do save our planet and whether, you know, you can be motivated by we're going to lose ski season soon, or you could be motivated by, you know, your, your descendants. But, uh, I, I would say a biggest mission in my life outside of helping everyone with wealth management and all these other things is, you know, to, to, con to be consciously looking at how you can save the world on a daily basis and keep them, you know, those of you on audio won't see, but <laughs> I've got mountains behind me in my, uh, zoom here. And, um, you know, we the name Ripsaw was inspired by a ski run that's challenging and feels much in nature at Beaver Creek. So, um, I would say that's, that's what I have. I love it. I, I don't know that I would have expected that, but as you explain it, I'm like, yeah, of course, like that makes perfect sense. So you never know what you're going to learn about someone. So David, thank you so much for joining me. Wealth of insights out of this. And, you know, I just gotta say, it just made me walk away thinking, uh, about decision-making among other things. So, and I don't think that's something we talk enough about. So thanks for that. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. Uh, it was great. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.